This is Dr. Hughes, and I'm back for another episode. Today, I'd like to talk about sexual addiction and out-of-control sexual behavior and its impact on sexuality or the sexual relationship in a covenant marriage. Now, there are lots of resources out there in terms of sexual addiction, both uh, written by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know, therapists, uh, other professionals, medical doctors, um, and people that have been through or are experiencing sexual addiction or have overcome sexual addiction, as well as people just out in the world that are not members of, uh, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that have written um, well-informed and, and good material on sexual addiction. Um, the angle that I'm approaching this is not to talk about how to discontinue sexual addiction or how to heal from sexual um, addiction in terms of acting out, but how to heal the sexual relationship between husband and wife or Latter-day Saint husband and wife. So this is the the sexual impact that a sexual addiction has on an individual and on a, a marriage and the sexual relationship within that that marriage, within that covenant bond. Um, this is, in my opinion, w- uh, a great tragedy um, that it is missed by most uh, therapists and other professionals, uh, other people working with those that experience sexual addiction, um, is the lack of um, time and attention and awareness that the sexual relationship has been significantly impacted and infiltrated by a sexual addiction um, or out of control sexual behavior. Um, I guess why this is a, a quick little aside, hopefully a quick aside, um, but there's a lot of discussion out there um, in the the world of therapy and in the world in general on the, the differences uh, between or the I guess a a fight or a battle between um, those people that see um, certain sexual behavior as a sexual addiction um, and those that see it as um, out of control sexual behavior um, or something is some term similar to that. Um, now, I, I'll, I will say myself that I do not fall just in one camp entirely. I see and work with people that struggle with. Um, sexual activity that is, un- for them, that is undesirable or would be considered out of control. Um, and I would also consider it that I also work with lots of people and have across time that truly do have sexual addictions, um, that their sexual addiction looks just like a drug or, or alcohol addiction or dependency um, or gambling or gaming and, and so on uh, addiction. So I I see that there is a a very large range from those that are um, participating in unhealthy sexual activity, those that are uh, um, participating in an out of control amount of sexual activity, those that have a sexual addiction, whether that be pornography, masturbation, um, affairs, um, uh, sexual erotica, you know, what, uh, whatever it may be, um, there is this this very large range. Uh, I don't see it as just one of two camps, either a sexual addiction or out of control sexual behavior. Um, I know in um, the world of sex therapy, um, there's it, 
they generally, um, sex therapists generally don't see that there is a sexual addiction or don't see that there is enough evidence to support a sexual addiction um, and feel as if it marginalizes a lot of people um, in, in the world. Um, contrary to, to that, a lot of just general therapists, marriage and family therapists, I'm a marriage and family therapist as well as a certified sex therapist, um, but marriage and family therapists, licensed clinical social workers, uh, clinical mental health counselors, um, there are other designations depending on the state that uh, the, the therapist resides, but um, mental health professionals in general that um, uh, there's a lot of them that do not think that there is a sexual addiction out or that do think excuse me that do think that there is a sexual addiction um, out there and have worked with many people that um, are are you know postered children of that um, uh, like I said I, I I think that it is not as clear-cut as um, you know, you do X, Y, and Z and you have a sexual addiction, um, or, uh, um, or we consider it out of control sexual behavior. I think there is this, this wide range. Um, the issue though is not in being caught up on how to describe or how to talk about an individual or oneself, but more so in this behavior that is causing so much distress. So I don't get nearly as hung up on the terminology or the self-referencing or the labeling as other people do. Um, my concern is how is this behavior impacting the individual? Um, how, how is it be impacting the couple relationship? How is it impacting other relationships or relationships with children? And um, very importantly, the relationship with God. Um, so let's come back to um, the, the, the topic at hand, which is how sexual addiction or out-of-control sexual behavior and for the lack of uh, or, or for um, just to make this a little bit simpler, I'm just going to say sexual addiction, but I'm going to be referencing those that experience out of control sexual behavior also. But how how does the sexual addiction impact an individual and a couple's sexuality? Um, there there's um, not as much research out there as one one would like. Um, but one of the significant ways that a sexual addiction impacts an individual sexuality and a, therefore a couple relationship because uh, a sexual encounter between two people is made up of just that, two people, so two individuals. So their individual sexuality um, gets brought into this uh, this couple interaction, this couple relationship. Um, and and the, the first um, area that I'd like to talk about that's impacted is connection. So um, as... And, and this is not to say that everyone with a sexual addiction um, struggles with connecting with one spouse during a sexual in encounter, but um, generally what what we find is that those that have a sexual addiction um, are impacted and impaired in how they uh, connect to another during a sexual encounter. So they're um, not that they are necessarily objectifying um, their their spouse or their partner, um, but there there may exist a lack of emotional connection, a lack of um, I'd say even physical connection. And when I t when I say physical connection, I mean um, there there's a way that um, 
a husband and wife can, for instance, touch each other's hands and feel close and connected. And there's a way that a, a husband and wife can touch each other's hands and feel, um, feel the absence of that. Just feel like they're touching almost any other object. Um, and um, those of you that are human beings out there know what I mean. Those of you that have um, had a romantic partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever it may be across time, which probably consists of just about all of you uh, listening, those, uh, those that are human beings out there that have um, been in love, that have felt a, um, a, a strong not just physical attraction, but attraction um, and desire for another another person. Know the difference between those times when you are touching them through connection and those times that you are touching the other individual um, and connection is lacking or connection is missing. And in therapy, I often reference when I'm discussing this with uh, my couples, I'll often reference early times in the dating period where there was, um, you know, maybe the first couple of times they held hands or they sat and watched a show or a movie together or they talked uh, late at night on the porch and um, they, they're, um, you know, their hands almost made love with one another in a very respectful way. If you, um, you, you'll know what I mean. Um, where they, this, this hand holding, this, this um, touch, was so intimate, was so bonding, was so. Uh, sorry, my speaker just went off. Uh, it was, it was so. Um, filled with a desire to know the other that this physical touch felt felt like more than just hand holding there was a there was a connection a deep connection that that exists that exists there um and this is the connection that I'm talking about that oftentimes is lacking or missing in a, a couple sexual relationship when a sexual addiction exists and not always from the partner that struggles with the sexual addiction. Sometimes, and, and a lot of times, it's the spouse. The spouse that is preoccupied with or concerned about um, their wife or their husband's sexual addiction. Are they, are they objectifying me? Are they thinking about something they saw in pornography? Are they thinking about the husband, the uh, excuse me, the the man or the woman that they slept with last year, um, or that I just found out about. Um, these types of thoughts plague the mind of the spouse or partner, and um, prevent the physical touch from being a, a connecting touch. Prevent the sexual touch from being a connecting sexual touch. Prevent them from being emotionally engaged and present with their spouse and prevent them maybe from making eye contact um, during these intimate, vulnerable encounters. Um, there's, lots of, uh, there's lots of examples that could, that could be given um, in this regards, but um, those that have had a sexual encounter with somebody that's struggled with a sexual addiction or those that have um, struggled with sexual addiction and had an, an, a sexual encounter with... Um, their their spouse or partner um, might know what I'm talking about where um, they are there with them, they are doing this physical act of sexual intimacy um, but they may as well be on a different planet because there's 
there's um, an absence of um, physical, emotional, sexual, um, spiritual connection in in um, the encounter. And so one of the things that couples uh, then need to work on is um, figuring out how to gain that or how to um, find that again once uh, sexual addiction has impacted their their relationship. Another way that uh, sexual addiction impacts the sexual in- encounters is um, those that um, have have fallen into sexual addiction often start their addictions at, an, at a pretty early age. I've worked with a number of people where this is not the case, but generally speaking, there's there's an early onset set of the sexual addiction or preoccupation with sexuality or sexual uh, or being sexually out of control. Um, and um, these are typically the first um, sexual encounters that the individual has. And, and that's extremely important to note because um, one's partner oftentimes does not become sexual um, in alone and in isolation, um, does not have a, their first um, big sexual encounter in, alone or in isolation, but the one that struggles with the sexual addiction oftentimes does. They often um, have their first orgasm alone. They often, um, uh, you know, participate in through watching a a sexual encounter al- alone, um, or participate in by watching uh, intercourse alone, and um, and so as they they learn about sexuality in great. Um, detail and depth, um, albeit inaccurately, uh, as they, as they really emerge or, or submerge themselves into this sexual world, um, and into uh, sexual encounters, they're doing so in isolation of another person, of an actual human being being present with them. So, um, they will maybe even um, uh, engage with another person online, um, you know, maybe pay for a, a service or um, have some sort of video chat thing with um, someone uh, that's in the pornography industry, the pornography world, um, or watch uh, an, a, a interactive sort of um, scenario um, or watch a couple have sex together on, online. Um, and even though they are watching another person or maybe maybe even talking to another person, they're doing so through a screen. They're doing so without um, accessing all of their senses um, with another. Um, so they don't have to be concerned about or take into account um, things that are present when being sexual with another person, like what their experience is like, or um, how their body feels while uh, um, while they are engaging in XYZ, um, or um, any number of other things that are, are present when, when there is another person in the, in the room. So they become sexual in isolation of, of another human being, another actual human being. Um, 
And so what happens across time is there's more and more of this kind of activity and this individual um, learns and equips themselves with sexual software that doesn't work very well with another person in the, the, in the room, in, in the bedroom with them. And their spouse oftentimes um, has become sexual um, to great lengths or um, to, to maybe shallower lengths um, with another person. And oftentimes, especially as Latter-day Saints, um, this, this uh, other person, this spouse, is being sexual for the first time or uh, engaging in sexual activity for the first time uh, with this spouse that it, uh, has uh, struggled with this sexual addiction. All right, let's see. Um, I'm going to move on from connection, and um, I'm going to talk about safety and vulnerability. Um, I'm going to, uh, and, and I want to reference uh, Sue Johnson, who is uh, one of the founders of Emotionally Focused Therapy (EFT). She talks about our conversations, A-R-E, accessible, responsive, engaged conversations, and I, I'm going to to reference these in in just a little bit, but. Um, uh, in in terms of safety in terms of uh improving safety and vulnerability in a couple relationship um but when a sexual addiction exists in a relationship there becomes a significant lack of and deprivation of safety and um uh vulnerability in a couple uh, re- relationship and this permeates into the sexual relationship as well. So, um, and I've I've worked with lots of couples that have have said things like or thought things like, um, yeah, I I know that does impact our relationship, but we you know we still have sex very regularly. Um, I know that he or she still feels uh, close to me, um, or still feels like they can be vulnerable with me because we we do have sex on a regular basis. Um, and what I often um, conclude with them or or end up discussing with them is uh, don't mistake your partner's willingness to have intercourse or engage in a sexual activity as safety them feeling safe and them feeling vulnerable because a lot of times a betrayed spouse a, a very hurt spouse will still be open to sexual activity and a lot of times it's it's um for the them uh, for the fact of them trying to create um, safety. Uh, if I have sex with her, if I have sex with him, um, then they are less likely to look at pornography, to step out on me, to reach out to their affair partner uh, again, uh, or I will know that they love me, they care about me, they think about me. If I engage in the sexual activity with my my spouse or partner. So a lot of times it's an attachment protest or um, means to feel safe and secure in the, their uh, relationship, uh, and it and it looks more like interest in in sexual activity or in a sexual encounter. But it's um, don't be mistaken. A lot of times where there's a sexual addiction, that participation in sexual activity. Uh, even from very healthy spouses and partners, um, you'll, uh, I'll hear them admit in this very therapy room I'm sitting in right now as I'm recording this episode, um, they will say at times, I know that I, that this is not healthy and this is, you know, that I, I need to change this, but 
sometimes I will just go ahead and have sex because I know that he will be fulfilled or that she is less likely to contact so-and-so or so that I can feel that they care about me. However, those are not um, viable long-term answers. While they may alleviate some distress in the the short term, those are not viable, really viable short or long-term answers to to the the problem of that safety and vulnerability. Um, What can help with that are these are A-R-E, accessible, responsive, engaged conversations that Sue Johnson talks about. Um, so even though an, the individual may, may still struggle with sexual addiction, um, by, and I'll, I'll build on these two principles I've talked about, connection, safety, and vulnerability, um, by having these R conversations, these accessible, responsive, engaged conversations um, before after and sometimes even during, and during may look different than a typical conversation, what can be created is, um, is a space for connection to exist, is a space for the partner to feel safe so that they can then be vulnerable. All right, I do want to talk about sexual per- performance next. Um, so there is some research, and I and I I want to be really really careful about this because men are very delicate in in the sexual world, um, contrary to what you may think, um, especially about myths and misconceptions that exist. So there is some research that says that uh, erectile dis- dysfunction is um, more likely for those that struggle with sexual addiction or have experienced sexual addiction um there's a um there's a nobel prize winner um that um uh, that talks about a, a supernormal stimulus i think is what it's referenced as and um he's talking about these stickleback fish and these fish when they are in um mating season they um they'll have this red, deep red underbelly that kind of scares off the other male fish. Uh, so they're male fish that have this. Um, and I think sort of attracts the, the, uh, the female fish. Um, and in uh, this, this Nobel Prize winning research, uh, what uh, Nico does is he, he uh, introduces these oval-shaped uh, so they look like these male fish, um, these oval-shaped objects into this this you know regular mating area where the stickleback fish exist. But um, he creates these deep, deep red um, underbellies that are really you know very accentuated. Um, he he they are therefore these supernormal stimuli uh, to the normal stimuli of the red underbelly of the stickleback male fish during mating season. And, uh, you know, so it, it, what it does is it elicits this uh, supernormal, uh, or, uh, yeah, supernormal response or super typical response. So um, the other male stickleback fish become um, heightened even more in their aggression towards these these fish, um, and, and so on. Um, 
and pornography does the much much the same thing in that um, it creates this super normal sort of uh, experience, and someone can get uh, an individual that is exposed to a lot of pornography um, that that is very unrealistic, mind you. You know that's um, it is digitally enhanced it is whatever an individual can imagine and think of in the in the the moment um it is a novel a new you know every second um it is uh the extreme fantasy to you know to the nth degree uh so these supernormal stimulus um what can happen is when that individual is then exposed to or participating in a typical or a normal experience with another human being that is not these uh, digitally enhanced and novel, you know, every couple seconds novel image uh, person, um, but it's just this, you know, referencing the stickleback fish, just this normal stickleback fish, um, it, it can impact the um the the male's sexual performance and and reduce his uh, um physiological expression of arousal his erection um he's used to seeing um something more extreme more sexualized uh more more erotic um and uh, and can significantly impact um ability to uh, obtain and maintain erection the last thing I want to talk about in is uh, Patrick Carnes. He has these uh, different criteria for for sexual addiction. Um, sexual addiction is not included in the DSM, uh, which is what therapists use for diagnostic uh, di- diagnosing. Um, and I'm just going to cover a, a few of these. He has. Um, 10 or so criterion that he looks at. Uh, so, re- so these are recurrent failure to resist sexual impulses to engage in specific sexual behavior, frequent engaging in those behaviors to a greater extent or over a longer period of time than usual, persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to stop, to reduce, or to control behaviors, inordinate amount of time spent in obtaining sex, being sexual, or recovering from sexual experiences, preoccupation with the behavior or preparation or preparatory activities, frequent engaging in the behavior when expected to fulfill occupational, academic, domestic, or social obligations, continuation of the behavior despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurring social, financial, physiological, uh, excuse me, psychological problem that is caused or exacerbated by the behavior need to increase the intensity, frequency, number of ri- number or risk of behavior to achieve the desired effect or diminished effect with continued behaviors at the same level of intensity, frequency, number, or risk, giving up or limiting social, occupational, or recreational activities because of the behavior, distress, anxiety, relentlessness or irritability irritability if unable to engage in the behavior um i just thought those would be uh, beneficial for those that are out there trying to figure out is this truly a sexual addiction or 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 is it more just um out of control sexual behavior uh, problematic sexual behavior and so those are those are some criteria by the the 
kind of the the man really that created the term and the idea of a sexual addiction, Patrick Carnes. So um, some useful information for you to to look at um, in regards to uh, maybe diagnosing and working with uh, a sexual addiction. Um, but the thing that I really want to go back and, and highlight, and I didn't talk about all, all of the ways that a couple can um, be impacted in their sexual relationship, but I did mention some significant ones, is that couples that, that struggle with sexual addiction, um, both partners can be impacted in terms of their ability to find and be receptive to connection in all of the different ways that connection may manifest during a sexual encounter. So they may not learn how to, uh, how to pair connection with sexuality, or they may be so preoccupied with their spouse or their partner's addiction that they cannot find connection. Um, or they may be so preoccupied with uh, doing their, their spouse's addiction recovery that they are not connecting during sexual activity. Sexual dysfunction can, can exist and, um, and, uh, or, or excuse me, um, erectile dysfunction can exist. Um, and also, uh, another, um, way that the couple relationship is impacted is sometimes when there is one sexual issue, it engenders other or multiple sexual issues in the same individual or across partners. So uh, the individual that struggles with the sexual addiction uh, might engender um, uh, hypoactive sexual desire disorder um, or sexual interest arousal disorder in one one's partner, uh, which may in turn um, cause a desire issue um, or pain issue in the other partner because they're so preoccupied um, with the lack of interest or desire or arousal from their partner. Um, the The main thing, main takeaway from this is that those that struggle with sexual addiction are anything but immune in their sexual relationship. They, um, a lot of times I see couples uh, feeling like if we can just solve this issue and eliminate pornography or eliminate these affairs or eliminate this masturbation, then our issues are, are solved. Um, and I, I don't mean to add, add fuel to the fire, um, but what needs to be addressed in addition to that is improving the sexual relationship. And, and one, one last note on this before I, before I end for today. Um, if, if you as a couple are to think about um, sexual addiction, not as if that's the problem, but instead as if knowing how to cultivate and achieve healthy sexuality is the problem, then it will make sense that the couple needs to work on fostering and cultivating a healthier sexual relationship. Because, And this makes sense because merely the absence of sexual addiction does not resolve or provide what's needed in the sexual encounter. 
So, uh, or in the sexual relationship. So, um, just because a couple might eliminate the the sexual addiction, does not mean that then they are going to be happy in their sexual relationship. So, um, so one can conclude then that the sexual addiction was not the actual issue. The sexual addiction was and is just a symptom of the larger or deeper issue, which is an unhealthy relationship with